Welcome to the Western Bell Podcast Series, with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, An Ethical Will, What Values Can We Pass On to Future Generations? The talk was given by Elise Arrow, EE, on January 20th, 2024, via Zoom. EE has been committed to a life of engaging spiritual principles and service through theater, support for the dying, and bringing enjoyment to others as a chocolatier. In this talk, she notes that many of us have benefited from being on a path, and that we have learned from our experience and from those who came before us about spiritual work. E.E. says that we can live inside a question of what we might wish to pass on and how we could do that. During the discussion, reference is made to different traditions and masters that have passed on something of great spiritual value, including George Gurdjieff, Arnaud Desjardins, Yogi Ramsarat Kumar, and her teacher, Lee Loswick. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Elise Arrow, EE. I really want this to be a discussion. The first question I have is, has anybody encountered this idea of ethical will? Okay. There's so much information about ethical will. The first thing I discovered about this was that, indeed, it's about what we wish to pass on to further generations of will is how you want to wish to pass on your stuff, your money, the things that you own, things that you value, that you'd like to pass on to various people. And you can have that all written down. And it can become a legal document. A living will is more about how you would like to have yourself treated as you are in the process of passing over yourself. So there are a lot of questions about how do you want to be treated? So it's very, very specific. An ethical will is very different, I think, as spiritual aspirants. Those of us who've been on a spiritual path for years, for myself, for most of my life, there is something that I have. Do I wish to pass this on to people that I might not even know? For example, the Native Americans quite often, they're very conscious of the earth and of their responsibility of the earth. So their traditions encourage people to be mindful about how they are the caretakers of the land. So they try to think seven generations out. Many of the Native American tribes are considering how they would pass on that information as it was passed on to them seven generations back. So it's this kind of thinking. So there's a distinction between ethics and morals. There are traditions, for example, the Jewish tradition in particular, and perhaps the Buddhist too, but the Jewish tradition, they use this idea of ethical will to pass on what it is that they would have their practitioners consider. So let's go back. Ethics is about reflecting on who we are, what we value, 
and how we want to live in a world where many others may not share the same values and principles as us. Times when ethical questions arise are whenever we are faced with a question of what is right to do. For example, telling the truth when doing so might hurt someone. For example, questions around abortion, immigration, capital punishment. These are examples that are political, but at the same time, these would be considered ethical questions. They're practical and they're everyday questions. But what do I consider is right in these cases? Morality, on the other hand, are beliefs and values that are shared with family, professions, community, or religions and churches. They're social, legal, and religious rather than ethical. So morality has widely shared norms that guide our choices and actions. However, unlike ethics, morality can be followed unthinkingly and without questioning them. So what is the church telling me to do? What is my um, community telling me to do? What did my teacher tell me to do? That would be more of a moral question. For example, in uh, politics, which I do follow, you hear this phrase, moral guidelines. There are commonly agreed upon ways of behaving. In a court, you don't talk back to the judge, for example. Just behavior, modes of behavior. That's more in the realm of morality. But the idea of those things being followed without thinking. So the idea of ethics is that it's a self-reflective mechanism. You know, who am I? What do I stand for? So I am a good person. Why do I need ethics? This is one of the questions that I discovered as I was researching this. Good people make bad decisions sometimes. We all make bad decisions and poor decisions. This is one of the reasons why I would wish to look at this question for myself. It invites me to self-reflect, to question and become conscious and act according to conscience. Okay, so a stated ethical will that I would wish for, let's say, children, grandchildren. Let's just keep it simple to begin with. It can be in some form. So when we do a will or our living will, we answer very specific questions so that other people may know what our wishes are. Really, wills are about what other people know what our wishes are. This is about what our wishes are for people who come after us. It can be in the form of a letter. It can be a form of a personal letter, of a generalized wish for maybe a family, family members. It can be a video. It can be a work of art and a memorandum. Now, when I was researching this, I came upon some really great TED Talks about how people have created ethical wills. Somebody was sick, for example, so they created something that would be left behind, but that didn't include them being sick. Someone else was an artist and wanted to create something that would pass on what he really believed in or future generations who work of art, or a song. There was one in there that was really, really beautiful. It was a song. And they put it in a video file so it can remain after we pass away. It can be a book or an essay 
or once again, like a letter. And it's specific and forward-reaching for children and grandchildren, but it's also for generations to come. So my question that I keep coming back to is, as spiritual students, as myself as a spiritual student of many years, what are the things that I would wish to have further generations know about me? I haven't answered these questions, <laughs> but I'm hoping that we can get a little conversation going here. So it would seem to me a matriarch or a patriarch in a family would have family values that they would want to pass on. I think it's important to recognize these informal pressures to stand for something that get passed down by parents and grandparents and often we don't even know it until we're adults ourselves. So we're carrying traumas forward or we're healing backward in time. That's uh, intangible, but it's a part of this. We're also discovering who we are through this process. When I think back about who my ancestors were, I learn a lot about myself. It's like, oh, I do that. We're talking about times and spaces. My parents went through a Second World War. So we have different pasts. How has that brought me to this work that I'm doing now? I feel as though I have benefited from being in this work. I would like that to go forward. So how can I accentuate the momentum of that by considering this thing of ethical will? Can you speak how this relates to self-observation? Yeah, going back to the question of who am I? How have I come to be this person who is on a spiritual path? And what do I value? And that's probably one of the most important things that I value about my life as a spiritual student, is having found the work as it's being brought forward now in the study of self-observation, because that helps me so much in my daily life. And if I had anything to pass on in terms of willing that for future generations, for my daughter, that would be the thing that I would like. You know, so now I'm considering, well, if I were to write a letter to my daughter or if I would do something, how would I create something that would convey that? And it challenges me to use everything that I have learned through the practice of self-observation to be able to communicate to someone who might not ever have heard about it. Yeah. Have you come up with something? Not yet. <laughs> but I think that some of the ideas are worth considering. Like, where did I come from? How did I get here? Who have I met? So there's another question. Things that I have learned by being on a spiritual path, meeting certain teachers, what have I learned from them and how has that benefited me? So if I were to convey that to someone, would I be able to do it in a way that would benefit them? Which is the whole point of an ethical will, it seems to me. Now, the Native Americans wish that to go forward for seven generations. So that's a pretty big ask. But I think as spiritual students that it's worth asking these questions. This is a question, it seems to me, that's worth wrestling with and discussing with one another. Any other thoughts? Yeah, lots of thoughts from the ridiculous to the sublime, really, because I once read a book about 10 things I want my daughter to know as I'm dying. 
And they were so silly. Like when you go on a trip, pack heavy, don't pack light because (laughs) it's way more fun to have all your good stuff with you when you get there. And I'm thinking about my parents took an autobiography class in, you know, those adult programs before they died. Both left short papers and it was more about their own personal history than it was about their ethics and values. Yes. But what I'm left with from my parents is how they lived, Mm -hmm. not what they might have put in those papers. So I think if I'm going to write something for my nieces or nephews, I have to be pretty humble and recognize that if they didn't see me that way, my words on paper are pretty much hypocrisy. Then there's one other thing that comes to my mind, and that is the Hindi phrase, uh, Mahavakya's great speech, great phrases, great teachings. Yeah. Some of us read about the Mahavakyas of Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. They're almost like mantras. Lee Laswick would use the phrase kindness, generosity, and compassion. That's something you would want to pass on to future generations. But I think as a spiritual student, I could list the great teachings that have really impacted me in my life. And I could leave that for my nieces and say, Kindness, generosity, and compassion will get you through no matter what. So lots of things being generated. Yeah. So much of who we are and what we stand for is passed through the relationships that we have. And the simple fact of being connected for me feels like in and of itself passes on what we hope for. If I can live well, ethically aligned with my values, then I would think that my ethical will will be passed on. If we do begin to write some of these things down, then we see what's really most important. You know, I've had gurus in my life. I've had teachers in my life. And what have they said to me? What are some things that they have said to me that have helped me? And how might I speak to those things and give examples of how that has helped me that might help future generations? Also the aphorisms of Gurdjieff, those are tremendously valuable if you have that context of being able to use them. So I think that that's another challenge. How can we pass on something of real value? Something that can be used is how I would qualify what real value is. For me, it's a challenge to try. I'm in a few groups that study self-observation, and we were talking about the fact that we've now been exposed to higher laws. So we live under the law of gravity, but we've been exposed to these ideas of higher laws. For example, the law of hospitality, the law of good company, the law of reciprocity, the law of conscience, the law of invocation, the law of three, the law of love. It's kind of a higher calling in a way, a higher way of thinking about how we live our lives This is how I'm experiencing the study that we're doing with self-observation. When I see myself as myself, instead of how I think I am, for one thing, it's shocking. It's very shocking, which is another law. (laughs) There's the law of seven and there's the law of shock. But how might I invite somebody to look for these principles somewhere? Hospitality. You might speak to that in an ethical will. I wanted to give you an example of one that I found when I Googled it. And this is a person talking to his family. And he says, after my death, 
You should always be together, be healthy and happy, share equally all the money that is left for you. My wish is for each of you to accomplish something in life. Follow your dreams, never give up, and be happy along the way. I read this because there are some red flags for me in this statement. It sounds like a parent instructing his children with shoulds again. You should be happy and healthy. That's a bit of a burden. I remember speaking with someone who said, I wish to live my life now so that I am relieving myself of these burdens. So when I go, I go really light. And that's also to not pass anything on to others, to other generations, people we don't even know. That's too much of a heavy burden. Maybe it's just semantics, but we might wish to think about how we phrase things if we're going to be speaking to something in an ethical will. When I think about the ways in which most tribal peoples <laughs> pass on their values or pass on the recommendations of how to be in the community, in the group, and in oneself, it's almost always through story. Of course, it was before the written word, but nonetheless, even with the written word, the sacredness of story has to do with allegory. It has to do with archetypes. And that brings to my mind, okay, maybe it's easier to wrap our minds around this if we think about it in terms of a story. And the other thing that pops into my mind is the use of humor, especially too in tribal societies all over the world. In many societies, I hope you're one of the best examples, they have a heyoka, which is a clown. And the clown, the heyoka, goes around and basically when the priests, the medicine men and women are doing their thing in the plaza before the kachina dances, the heyokas are walking around behind them and they're farting and they're flipping fingers and they're tripping over stuff. And it's just absurd. And you start laughing. When I first saw it, I was absolutely insulted. It was a sacred thing. What are they doing out there? And then it was explained to me, this is to prove to us that no matter how sacred and sanctimonious we think we are, we're really kind of in it for ourselves. That's the other piece. It's like, okay, so how do we get story and how do we get humor in this? A whole lot of self-observation has to be laughing at ourselves on many levels of compassion, if you will. So I just throw that out as a way to say, maybe this doesn't have to be that hard or even that sacred. Serious, yeah. If we look at what we want to do with our stuff when we go, Maybe it can be that easy. It's as easy as putting something here and something there. The challenge for me is how do I explain the value that I have gotten from being on a spiritual path in my life to someone who may not even know what I'm talking about? I was thinking about a quote from Salvador Dali who said that the real artist is not one who is inspired, but one who inspires others. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I think what an artist does is to create an ethical will through their artwork, communicating what their values are or what they want other people to see, because artists see things that other people don't see. So a thing to pass on. Now, it's not your material possessions. That's already covered by a will and testament. So what do you have to pass on? What kind of legacy do you have that's not a material legacy? 
What's the value of you living for so many years and breathing all the air that you did? What is the value to the rest of the world of that? Like you say, you know, artists see things in ways that other people don't see. But as spiritual students, we also see things in a context that's different. We're always talking about context. So how might we even invite people into an investigation into what a spiritual path might be? Maybe they've been put off by religion, but there's still a question there. Maybe it's a questioning, a way of questioning without creating a burden. So I think that that's a good guideline for me to like not create a burden. This is how I have lived my life. I wish to not create any more war on this planet. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to say right there. And I wish for others to know that. And when I fall off that wagon, I want my friends to remind me how to come back, how to forgive. So we do have values. We've been given so much. And how might we pass that on? That's the question coming up for me right now. One of the young people used to be at work. I think she's 30 now and she had to leave for health reasons. But one of the thoughts that occurred to me with her being a French-speaking Canadian is that I was able to get a copy of Arnaud Desjardins' book. Ever Present Peace. Thank you. And I got the French version of it for her, mm. thinking, well, this encapsulates so much that I found of extraordinary value that I gave her a present of it. Now, I know it's not something that I've written out myself, but in a way, it's a little bit like an ethical will, isn't it? Hmm, I would say. But I like the idea of making it personal. What is it that I have benefited from? So the other way that Arnaud Desjardins taught his students was to come up with examples in their lives. When you watch him teach, you see him saying, well, can you give me an example of that? So it wasn't just platitudes. So if we speak to the examples in our lives where we've been benefited by this work, that's getting closer to what I would wish to do, which is not to say don't give people books. I totally get what you're saying about making it personal. I think that that's a lot of value. I suppose the only reservation I have is that, well, I feel like I'm still a beginner and maybe I mightn't want to say too much. Well, there is this principle of we're always beginning. We're always beginners. And if we think we've gotten something, we've learned something, remember that you're, you're beginning. We're still beginning. There's still so much. So that could be in there too, how to incorporate that without it being a burden. The more I think about this, the more it's really challenging me to question, to live inside the question of what is it that I would wish to pass on and how would I wish to do that? I'm starting to sense that it's not for anybody else, that the only value in it really is by asking those questions of myself. Because as soon as I start thinking, I'm going to put this down so that it will help other people or influence other people or inspire other people, I think I've lost it. And I think if there's none of that, if it's really my own ethical testament that's truly for me, then if it happens to be found later, it may be of value to somebody. But as soon as I start thinking, oh, I need to tell her this because this will help her or anything, I think we've lost it. So I think it's a fabulous piece of work to do for myself. These are the 10 most incredible things that have inspired my life. And this is what's guided me or 
this is the best book I ever read or whatever it is, but not to think that I'm going to do anything for anybody else with this. I think it's a fine line. I think if we're doing it to try to pass on something, I think it's doomed to failure. On the other hand, if I look at some things that others had passed on, which have been of value to me, it's all beyond the personal. What is of ultimate value? It's something beyond myself. Something about relationship to life, about going deeper into who we are that is somehow clouded over. And so Arnaud, Ever-Present Peace, his last book, I read that he wrote that as his spiritual legacy. Like he wanted intentionally to pass on certain considerations for people to work with. And it's profound. And in Tibetan Buddhism, there are these lineages that go back centuries. And that's such a key element of that tradition, passing on the teaching and practice that's there. And in that tradition, they've been displaced completely in their country, but they've maintained their practice and have endeavored to pass that on, it seems. But the way that they do that is not grasping at all, which is part of the practice. Several years ago, I'd heard of these two places, Ajanta and Alora, in India. And I wanted to go. It was mind-boggling. The caves that had been carved out, something was transmitted over, I think it was 10 generations. People who were on a path communicated something all together, communally, that still exists today. I mean, it's objective art in some ways. You know, the Gurdjieff work, my gosh, it's 100 years later. And people are still gathering in groups and considering self-observation and different principles of work on self. This book, Irina Tweedy wrote, Daughter of Fire. Oh, my God. I read that, and it's like, oh, the path lives. It's not just things that happened in the past. This is possible to live now. What a communication that got passed on by her work of not just letting it go, but by writing it down. But I also really hear just by the way that we live passes something on. The last thing that I was thinking about that I wrote down was, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, a talk was done on the Gospel of Thomas. My gosh, somebody way back in 90 AD or whenever it was that it happened, who knows, somebody wrote this down and put these sayings attributed to Jesus, I guess who knows exactly, in a jar. Then somebody uncovered them in 1945, and they're profound. So to me, it's a drop in the bucket. But what do I have to pass on? What do we have to pass on? That's one question. And the other question is, okay, then how to do that? Mm-hmm. So I, we've been given something. It's a value. It's not for me. It's not personal. And it seems like when I look at it that way, there's kind of an obligation there. So much of what I've learned on a spiritual path, I've been given. And also what's been taken away from having been on a spiritual path. And that's another big thing. One of the um, sayings that one of my teachers said, which I call the guru's promise, 
is all that you are not will be taken away and all that you are will be given back to you. And that's kind of a theme that I check in with every so often. I wanted to go back to a testament. We talk about a will and testament. Yeah, what is your understanding of testament? To testify. In other words, speak, make a declaration. So I think to um, create a testament or a testimony is what they mean by that. That's what I mean. Yeah, there's a Beastie Boys song. Adam Yauch, who is uh, some kind of Buddhist, had some kind of teacher. The song's called The Bodhisattva Vow, and it's got Tibetan horns blaring in the background and stuff. He's listing, it's like an ethical will, basically, what we're describing. He says, there's nothing here that hasn't been said before, but I'm going to write it down now so that I'll be sure and solidify my own views. And if it helps anyone else, uh, I'll be glad about that. And he lists just all these things. Like if someone, you know, disrespects me, I stop and think a moment before I react. If someone does such and such to me, then I look at it and I realize they're just going through stages of insecurity and we have to have compassion for them. And it just goes on and on like that for several minutes. And I think that's probably a really good example of of an ethical will. And it's in a song. Yeah, so people can consider that while they're listening to a song. Some respects, that's really an effective way to get messages across. Yeah. If you're a song person, writer, singer, Tibetan type. I think, and this is probably just uh, using other words to state what's already been said, is that I suspect if I'm thinking of younger people, I think a really big turnoff would be preachy language. I really like if I've got this right, it was along the lines of these things have been helpful to me, but it's not like I'm saying follow this to you. I'm just saying on my path, this is what was useful. Yeah. I might also like to consider different times on spiritual path. How was it when I first encountered a spiritual path or encountered a teacher? I saved a couple of articles they didn't call it an ethical will but they called it it was almost like spiritual directives or something i think it was come to think of it so i can see this isn't exactly what we're talking about here but it was spiritual directives in terms of how you want to be taken care of spiritually if you can't necessarily communicate what you would like in that period so what we're talking about with an ethical will is that it's passing it forward it's for others i guess my feeling is if i can go through my life and i can capture the stories that are allegorical for me, that are archetypical awarenesses that came to me, big ahas, and tell those stories. And maybe there's only five that I pick out of my whole life, and I write those down. It's a way to both express myself and share something important to me and have something for the ones I love in the future without saying, this is what you need to do. It's simply telling the story. That's how we celebrate and mourn our history. To me, it could perhaps be that simple of really looking at our own lives and say, what are the five most important learning experiences in my life that I could write down? Also, I think making things very specific, like you said, five, there's a challenge right there. So I think being very specific and also what's most important to me is not necessarily going to be what I wish for you. 
but if it's of some value, then then it is for you. This is just to throw this out as a consideration that maybe a little devil's advocate-ish. Yeah. It's my sense that the current of what we call the work, because it originates in consciousness itself, it arises out of the wellspring of its own desire to realize itself. It's always been in humanity. It will always arise as an undercurrent as long as humanity lasts, which may not even be much longer, actually. But the work itself continues because it's inherent in life. It's inherent in existence. It's inherent in being. It doesn't need anything from us to express itself generation to generation because it's always present and it always pops up. And the values of kindness, generosity, and compassion are part of that current. It's a way that current expresses itself. So I don't know. I, I'm not moved to do an ethical will. I'm more interested in allowing that current to express itself through this body-mind mechanism as best that this mechanism can allow it to happen. And that is quite sufficient. Nothing more needs to be done. Hmm. Just throwing it out there. I kind of hear what you say. It's like, what is the motivation behind that? Behind ethical will? There was a lot of tradition. There's a lot that has been said and considered tonight. It's gratifying for me to be able to look into this and do a little research on it and have people consider it. I was thinking the only thing of value I find is passing on something like oral history. Like my mom, she has kept diaries. And my sister just called me the other day and said, do you know we are missing one of her diaries and my daughter wants to read them. And I'm finding that that's something that might be of value because our times are changing right now so fast that my niece, she's really interested to find out how people lived even like 50, 70, 80 years ago, what they experienced. And making it through and how they lived their life and what they experienced and what many people already said to stories. And that I find really valuable and interesting to put something down that I think would be an eye opener to following generations because the times are changing so fast right now that's very hard to transmit values anymore because of the technology and how everything was is different. So that's interesting to me, but an ethical like thing is not what I would do. What I think is of real value in moving something forward in telling a story is in telling the stories where the unethical part of me ran into the ethical part, where I learned a lesson about life and death at the expense of myself. In other words, there's a tension there. For example, how can violence and beauty coexist on a landscape or in a people or in me? Okay. I first learned that 
when I was a young teenager and saving all the laboratory mice at the Desert Museum where I worked because I didn't want the nasty snakes to eat them. Of course, I took care of the snakes too. But the point is, time went on. I got ground squirrels and so forth. And suddenly they started dying because they were wild animals. They couldn't be kept. And I had seen the curator bash a ground squirrel's head against something to kill it, but keep it warm so it could be fed to the snakes. And I thought I could do that. And I thought the only thing after days had passed and I tried to keep this little thing alive because I was saving it from something, I realized that I was killing it. This is like a 14-year-old. And so I thought, well, I guess I have to kill it to put it out of its misery. And I will never forget banging its head against a rock, sobbing, and not being able to kill it the right way that it was painless. That's just a story. That's one person's situation in life. But in that moment, which I might not have realized for 20 years, I had to reckon with all of these thoughts I had to save this cute little thing and suddenly trying to make things better and realizing I can't ever make things better. This is it. It's dying. It's death. I guess to me, there's a compelling nature to something that doesn't have a resolution. And we all have experienced that. That's what we need to share with others. We need to share with others Those lessons that we learned, they cost us something and we hurt somebody or we hurt ourselves. That is compelling. I mean, I don't want to write down my ethical will in the way we're talking about it a lot either. But I do want to tell those missteps that taught me something. Maybe at least somebody can say, oh, that was me at another time with another situation. Most of the time, it seems to me that What we want to leave behind is something to be remembered by. And it's about us, a piece of art, something we wrote. And this is about something different. This is about passing on something bigger than ourselves. But I think that contrasts with the mechanical way of wanting something to continue personally about us. You know, these conversations are really bringing up a lot of admissions, I think, playing the devil's advocate, which is actually a very good point. The work is going to prevail, or it won't. But maybe we have an obligation to try for the benefit of those in the future. My understanding was that Gurdjieff's teaching, he put the teaching into the world It just sounds so grandiose. For the benefit of mankind, to save mankind from himself, because man is an unconscious being. And the way we're all programmed is to kill one another as a species. And he didn't see that that was going to change unless something intervened. And this was his way of creating an intervention in evolution, basically. This is my understanding as we're going forward with self-observation and studying the work that he left behind. So is there something essential in us that wants to do that, wants to make a contribution to the whole? That might be an individual question and how that manifests in the world. To me, that's what these questions are poking at. They're good questions. Well, that's the idea of these talks is to create a bunch of questions, not so much to answer them all. So we all feel like, oh, Everything's tied up in a nice, neat bow. Yeah. To piggyback on what I was saying before, that even though the stream of 
the work, for want of a better word, is perennial and is inevitable because that's the nature of reality, to encourage its expression in the forms that we exhibit as body-minds, unless it's informed by a intentional energy for the whole, for all, it won't have any juice. If you're just practicing because you want to awaken, right? that will not yield much in a lifetime unless it's intentionally done to help or to infuse that in the whole as a conscious expression of the whole. Yeah, so even though it's true that that current is inevitable and runs on its own always, it requires your participation to have any effect of any power. You need to have the idea of or the intention to help the whole. In your interest to create an ethical will, do you have one person in mind or more than one? And how far are you down that track? Well, thanks for the question. Yes, I do have a person in mind. It's someone that I'm closely related to, but I don't know very well. So that has its own challenges. See, that's why I'm saying I think it's a very personal thing. Perhaps I have more to impart to this person, and so that would benefit me personally to pass that on before I don't have that chance anymore. And just to follow up, how far are you down the track with this? Like, have you written a letter or something like that? Nope. But I am working with this group on elder care and dealing with living wills. So that was another reason why I really wanted to do this talk tonight, was so that we can consider what, as a spiritual student, do I also wish to pass on more than just the tangible. I really get how important stories are. There's something that gets passed on, transmitted through stories that happens in no other way, really. I mean, you can say you want to pass on compassion, but if there is a story that really illustrates it, then that really gets into you. Yeah. And I've heard people tell stories about things that have happened to them. And I said, you need to write this down. This needs to somehow find its way into print. And not for anyone in particular. I mean, you never know if anybody is ever going to come upon it. But I know that I have read things for sure that have really impacted me, mostly stories. And the other thing is getting it off your chest by telling it. <laughs> Not off your chest, but there's a feeling of full circle, full circle connecting a completion in the, and I guess I'm thinking of writing it down, but nonetheless, storytelling. If you don't pass on what it is and it goes with you, well, maybe that's okay. I don't know, but I think that there's some part of us, at least there's some part of me that feels responsible for communicating something that I've been given. That's very important to reciprocate in some way, even if you have no idea if anyone will ever make use of it. And what if it was just an expression of gratitude? You have to put it down because you just feel so grateful that this worked its way through you. I gotta write this down as a way of saying thank you. <laughs> writing a poem or writing a song or doing a piece of art, at least for me, there's this internal pressure almost. 
it's like a birthing process, like everybody says. But the thing is, once it's born, it's not yours anymore. It goes. It goes wherever it goes. Well, I just want to thank everybody for showing up and really being willing to jump in. There's something that's pushing me to do this. I would say a certain kind of work momentum in a very particular way. The work has its own agency. It's like it's doing something. My relationship to what I'm calling the work, it manifests in ways that are not usual. They're not commonplace. What I'm being shown myself, if I'm able to articulate it, is there's a certain kind of momentum that manifests itself through the work that I'm doing. One of the teachings from my teacher, Lee, was to be able to know what your work is and be able to stand in it and articulate it. So this is the articulating part. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm standing in. It might be a question. It might be a risk. You know, I want to know something. 